Today is our fourth and final sermon on Noah. Today we'll be reading about the first rainbow recorded in the Bible, and we'll see how covenants are so important in our relationship with God. So far in the account of Noah, God pronounced judgment on mankind for their evil and rebellion, and he made it very clear no one was innocent. That was true then, it is still true today. God commanded Noah to build an ark, and Noah did, which we believe took about 100 years. God brought two of each kind of animal to the ark that we just sang about, brought them by twosies. God had Noah and his family and the animals get into the ark, and God closed the door. It rained for 40 days and nights, and the deeps opened up. And we talked about that more last week. If you want to go back and talk about a little bit of the science involved, why it is when the deeps opened up and the rain came, there really was a worldwide flood. One year after the flood started, the earth had dried up, and Noah and his family and the animals left the ark. <clears throat> Over the last three weeks, we have seen that we all deserve God's judgment for our rebellion. Again, none of us are innocent. We also see that God provided rescue for Noah, and God provides spiritual rescue for so many people. Today we'll be reading... <coughs> excuse me. The end of Genesis 8 and part of Genesis 9, so remain seated, and let's read together from the screen. This will be Genesis 8, verses 20 to 22, and Genesis 9, verses 8 to 17. Let's read this together. Then Noah built the, an ark to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal, and some of every clean bird, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you, and every living creature of all flesh. The waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. 
God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Now, briefly as we begin, let me draw your attention to God's repetition. In our verses in chapter 9 that we just read, we see the verses refer to the word covenant seven times, and then five times in different ways, God says that the covenant is between God and every living creature. And I believe that the repetition is a way for God to emphasize the thoughts that he's making about the covenant which means that covenant is something very important. It's a very important concept. And we see that the, that the concept of covenant runs from Genesis to Revelation, both directly and indirectly, all the way through. We also see God repeating himself in verses 15 and 16, so talking about the sign, and I think that's a way to confirm his commitment to his covenant that he's making. Then, in our verses in chapter 8, we encounter the following concepts that have not yet been explained in the book of Genesis. There's an altar, talks about clean animals, and there are burnt offerings. An altar was used as part of the worship of God. The word altar means place of sacrifice. Now, you'll notice we're not told if God directed Noah to build an altar or if this was an already established practice. It's just told, this is what he does. We see later in the Old Testament, Abraham, and you see other Old Testament characters, build an altar to worship God. Also, God directed Moses that an altar be built as part of the tabernacle. But then you also see in the Bible that an altar was used plenty of times for false worship rather than worshiping God. So there's an altar. Then we have a reference to clean animals. It's not the first reference, but the first reference has happened with Noah about clean animals. And that phrase clean animals implies that there are also unclean animals, that you're making the distinction that God is making. Well, God later makes that distinction between clean and unclean in what we call the Old Testament ceremonial law. Now, just to be clear, unclean is not the same as dirty. A person, here's an example. Back then, if a person died, they didn't have mortuaries. The family buried the person who died. So they would wash the body, dress it, and actually take it and bury it. Anybody who touched, any of the people of the family who touched the dead body would be ceremonially unclean. To become clean, they would have to wash and then wait a period of time. And they did this because God said that an unclean person could not go into his presence. And so God is teaching something about clean and unclean. He also told Jews that they were not allowed to eat unclean animals. If you remember the account in the book of Acts with Peter, he's at a friend's house, he's up on the roof um, waiting for lunch and he's hungry and he has this vision and God has uh, in the vision, a sheep comes down with all these animals, clean and unclean, and God speaks to, to Peter and says, eat, take your choice. And Peter responds, as a good Jew of his day would do, oh no, God, I will never eat any of those unclean animals. What was God doing? He was preparing Peter to go meet an unclean, <coughs> excuse me, unclean person, a Roman soldier. 
So we have an altar, we have clean animals, and then we have burnt offerings. A burnt offering is a special kind of offering. There is one other reference to offering earlier in Genesis, and that's in Genesis 4, when Cain and Abel bring their offerings to God. Again, we're not told if God directed them to bring these offerings or if they just did it. An offering is, is an acknowledgement that everything we have comes from God. But again, a burnt offering is a special kind of offering. In a burnt offering, the entire animal is consumed. Nothing is left. And later in the Old Testament, God directs that burnt offerings be made for sin. So here's some things that have not been explained yet. They're introduced and they get explained later in the Old Testament. Then in verses 21 and 22, God makes two promises. The first one is that he would never again curse the ground. And just so you know, the meaning of that is not clear. Second promise is very clear. God promises never again to strike down all living creatures as he did with the flood. And this is the promise he makes when he makes the covenant with Noah. Now, we read later in the New Testament that God has said that one day he will destroy the earth with fire. And after that, he'll create the new heavens and the new earth. But here, God says in a very poetic way, until that day, because he already knew that day was going to come when he's going to destroy the earth with fire. He says, until then, I will never destroy the earth again with a flood. And he does it in a poetic way. That, he says, days and seasons will continue. And if you think about it, they have for thousands of years. Most of us don't wake up and wonder, well, is this the day when everything ends? We just kind of go because it's gone for years and years and years. And it goes for years and years because God made a promise. Now, we didn't read uh, Genesis 9, verses 1 to 7. But in those verses, God commands Noah and his family to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is the same command that God gave in Genesis 1. And in the early verses of chapter 9, God also established the sanctity of human life. Now, remember in Genesis 6, when God looked at the earth, what he saw was that there was evil and violence from mankind. And remember from Genesis 4, what the first recorded act of violence was. Cain murdered Abel. Now, in contrast to what Cain did, and you read in Genesis 4, some of Cain's descendants were boasting they killed, he killed two people. In contrast, following God's word limits violence. And because of the sanctity of human life that God declares in Genesis 9, a person is not free to take the life of another human being. Now, later in the Bible, God makes it clear that human life cannot be taken without proper authority. And those are double negatives, not about you, but sometimes double negatives can be confusing, so let's turn it around to the positive. God says human life may be taken only with proper authority. Now what this means, for example, is that abortion is contrary to God's direction, but that capital punishment, if properly administered, is valid. And many people today take different views on both of those. But now we come to our main topic. In verse 9, God established a covenant with Noah and his descendants, 
And if you think about that, his descendants include all of us, all of mankind. And that covenant is still in force today. So here's a simple definition of a covenant. It is a binding contract between two people. A marriage is an example of a covenant relationship that is both legal and personal. Here in Genesis 9, the covenant is between God and man. Now, this is the second time that the word covenant has been used in Genesis. First time was in Genesis 6, where God makes a covenant with Noah to save him and his family. Now, archaeologists have discovered much that helps us understand human covenants between people. They were usually made back then, in that day, between two kings, a greater king and a lesser king. And the greater king would usually be the one to initiate the covenant. There would be requirements of both sides, and there would also be listed consequences for failure to keep the requirements. There would also be benefits for both sides. Well, in this case, again, it's God making the covenant, and he makes it both with mankind and the animals, that there would be no more worldwide flood again. But here's a key thought, and here's why I talked about human covenants and how most, the majority of covenants are made. It's between two people. In this case, when God makes the covenant, notice there are no conditions for mankind to keep. God doesn't say, I promise never to flood the world again unless. You don't hear that kind of a promise. Unless. God makes the covenant, and he's the one who maintains the covenant. Now, he tells us that the sign of the covenant is a rainbow. A rainbow is a visible sign. I remember years ago, I was driving, and there had been a big rainstorm and just lots of lightning and everything else, and there it seemed like just a couple hundred feet away was the end of the rainbow. Now, there was no pot of gold there. It was the middle of the field. But you could see the rainbow in all the colors. A rainbow is a visible sign that points to a spiritual reality. I mean, think about it. When you see a rainbow, if you connect it here in Genesis, it's connected to a flood. Because it's the promise that there won't ever be another flood. So when you and I see a rainbow, there's three things that we can remember. First, why it is that God brought a flood? That's because of God's judgment and his wrath on man's sin and evil. Secondly, we can remember God's rescue with the ark. And then thirdly, we can remember God's promise that there would never be another worldwide flood. So in the account of Noah, we see that God's wrath is powerful. There's a worldwide flood. But we also see that his love is powerful and great. Now, there's a little play on words in verse 11 that I want you to just know is there. You, wouldn't, you and I don't get it in the English, but you would get it in the Hebrew and if you lived back then. Because in verse 11, God says, Never again shall all flesh be cut off. That's the, those two key words. Cut off by the waters of the flood. You see, back in Old Testament days, we know that sometimes they wrote their covenants because we have some copies of them still. And maybe they signed them. But back then, when you made a covenant, you cut a covenant. That's how you talked about it. If we are going to make a covenant, we're going to cut a covenant because the covenant ceremony involved cutting animals. So the cutting is literal. 
And God promises that he will never again cut off all flesh. And then in verse 15, God says, I will remember. Now, the word remember here means God is saying, I'm going to act according to my covenant. It does not mean that God says, oh, I forgot. Now I remember. No, you'll never hear those words come out of heaven. Oh my, I forgot. It won't ever be there. No, God is saying, I will see the rainbow and I will act according to my promise that there will never be a worldwide flood. Well, God's covenant with Noah points us to other Old Testament covenants. So we have a covenant with Noah. We have one God makes with Abraham. God makes a covenant with Moses and the people of Israel, even if the word isn't directly used. And God makes a covenant with David. In Genesis 15, God promises Abraham to give him the land of Canaan. Now, remember, Abraham had, was, was living way far away from there in the, in the land of Ur when God comes to him and says, I want to have a relationship with you, Abraham. And here's one of the first things I want you to do. You're going to travel, and I'll tell you when we get there. And now he's saying, now Abraham's there in the land of Canaan as a visitor. And God promises he's going to give the land to Abraham and to his descendants. And Abraham asked God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And God responds by directing Abraham to prepare a covenant ceremony with animals cut in two. Now, between kings in that day, the common practice was in, when you made the covenant, some, you'd cut the animals but then the two kings would walk through between the two animals through the blood that came from those animals together. Well, in this case, after Abraham has cut the animals and laid them out, God puts Abraham to sleep off to the side and only God goes through the animal parts. God commits himself to keep the covenant with Abraham. In Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham and his descendants to be their God. And that's another theme that you see from Genesis all the way to Revelation, where God says, I will be your God, not me, pointing that way. He will be our God, we will be his people. And the sign of the covenant with Abraham was circumcision. Then in God's covenant with David, God promises that one of David's descendants would sit on the throne forever. And we see in the New Testament, kind of looking through the New Testament back to David, that the fulfillment of that promise was Jesus. There's one more reference to Noah in this covenant that we need to look at. In Isaiah 54, verses 9 and 10, God is speaking to his people through his prophet Isaiah. This is what he says. This is like the days of Noah to me, as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For the mountains may depart and the hills be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So look at what he's saying here. He's speaking through Isaiah about 700 years before Jesus is born, speaking to his people. And when you read the Old Testament, what you see is that the people of Israel mess up again and again and again. 
And God is speaking through his prophets. That's what he does. He speaks through his prophets to his people, calling them back to him. And he refers to Noah and his promise that there won't be a flood again. And he says, in the same way, I'm promising that I won't be angry with you. Does he have reason to be? Yes, he does. You see, just like the people of Israel and Isaiah, we know they knew they deserved God's wrath, his judgment. Just like the people in Noah's day before the flood came, God says they deserve his wrath. You and I deserve God's wrath and judgment as well because of our rebellion. Because that's the way we're born. We're born saying, life is all about me. And everybody ought to help me be happy. Rather than recognizing that we were made by God to be in relationship with him. That he should be the center of life, not us. And so knowing that that's the case, everybody, all of us, deserve God's wrath. But instead, in these verses, God promises his love and his peace. On what basis can God make this promise? He cannot, will not, take sin and just sweep it under the rug and pretend like it doesn't exist. So how is he going to do it? Well, all of the other biblical covenants with Noah, <coughs> with Abraham, with Moses, with David, they all point forward to the ultimate covenant in Jesus. And in this ultimate covenant, Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I never could, but were obligated to live. <clears throat> Excuse me, I've got a tickle in my throat. Jesus took our rebellion on himself, and he died in our place as our substitute. Jesus' death satisfied God's wrath, his justice, completely satisfied his justice, so that there's no wrath, there's no judgment left when God looks at us if we've been covered by Jesus' death. And because of that, God can adopt us and love us and show us mercy. But not only that, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus also credits us with his perfect obedience. And Jesus gives Christians his spirit and his promises. Now, understand, you and I can do nothing to earn this if God required our obedience in order for us to be given these benefits, none of us would get the benefits. We'd all get the judgment because that's what we deserve. So, now let's connect Noah and New Testament. Just as God gave us a perpetual reminder of his wrath and love and promise in the rainbow. Rainbow points to all of that. God also gives us a reminder of his wrath and his love and his promise in the cross. Do you see the parallels? Why was there a flood? Because of man's sin. Was there only judgment? No, there was a rescue. God rescued Noah and his family in the ark. And then God promised no more flood. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Because of man's sin. In the cross there is a rescue. 
God rescues us through Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And then God gives Christians promises in the New Testament. And one of those, and then we even sang a little bit about it, is that one day in heaven there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. Do you see the parallel? God, in Genesis 3, when he's actually giving the consequence for the first rebellion to Adam and Eve, gives a little hint of a promise that the seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. In Noah and the covenant, you get the first flavor of the ultimate covenant that comes in the New Testament with Jesus. Let me close with these thoughts. God's wrath is powerful. We see it in the flood and his judgment there. We see it in God's judgment of sin. But God's love is also powerful. You and I, on our own, fail at living according to God's word. So, number three is the biggie. God is the one who keeps the covenant for us. Let me say it again. God is the one who keeps the covenant for us. Just as God obligated himself with Noah, he gave Noah no conditions for there to ever be another worldwide flood. Jesus said, it is. This is what I've said. When God makes the covenant with Abraham, he puts Abraham to sleep off to the side. God himself, as in the picture with the, the, uh, the torch and the pot of fire, goes through the animals himself saying, if I, if God says, if I fail to keep my promise to you, Abraham, then may I, be like these animals and die. In the same way, God keeps not only his part of the covenant with us through Jesus, he keeps our part as well. He puts his spirit in us. He works in us. His spirit, you go back and look at the New Testament, his spirit encourages us and comforts us and convicts us and teaches us to follow Jesus. So God keeps both parts. Now, if you remember from a few weeks ago, I gave a prayer challenge to the congregation. And the first part of that prayer challenge was pray that God would give you his heart for other people. Pray for yourself, pray for all of us. That God would give us his heart for other people. Well, when you look at the cross and you look at the rainbow, you see God's heart. That he's a merciful God. And he chooses to love and to care. Now, in this series, the title of every sermon began with Faithfully Following God. In today's, it's Faithfully Following by Remembering God's Promises. You and I are are much better able to follow God when we remember, and only when we remember, God's promises. Not only his promises, but we remember what God gives us and what he does for us. Not just in the past, but what he's doing today. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this reminder. We thank you for introducing the idea of covenant and growing this idea and building this idea of covenant and then with Jesus accomplishing the ultimate covenant with us. Lord, thank you for choosing to love us. Again, as we have said, as we have sang, as we have heard, Spoken in prayers, we do not deserve your mercy, but you give it. We do not deserve your love, but you give it. And so we thank you 
We thank you and we ask that you'd help us to see how you love us and care for us. And would you give us your heart for other people? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's respond with a song.